Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. Good morning, Jeff. Have you got your credit card ready? I've got my credit card ready and, oh, like, it's hot. It's, it's... It, it wants to be used, but I'm trying very, very, very hard <laughs> to be calm, be rational. You know, all the things that happen after a big Apple announcement. You're like, yes, give me all the things. And then I have to stop and think, now, wait a minute. Do I really need this? Is this something that's going to help me? That whole process that happens several times a year. Well, you don't really need an iPhone SE, do you? No, I don't. You're right. You're right. <laughs> okay, good. Mark that off the list. I do not need an iPhone iPad SE. iPad Air? Uh, iPad Air, nope, nope. Because so, okay. so this is what happened to me last year. Last year, I started off saying, I don't need any of these things. I'm pretty good. I've got an old iPad Pro. I've got yeah. a 2019 MacBook Pro. I'm set. I am beyond temptation. Mm. Yeah, you can totally see where this is going. And then they announced the iPad Pro with an M1 chip. And because I've written extensively, I've written books about using the iPad for photography and this could open up all sorts of things. So I decided to go for it. So I bought that. And then the new MacBook Pros came out and I said to myself, I've been able to pretty much have – maybe three, sometimes four, five years of life when I have a, a, a MacBook Pro, and that's been great. So it would be insane of me to get a new machine after insane. only two years. Like only yeah, crazy insane. people do that. Yeah. And I say that as I'm looking here at my 2021 <laughs> MacBook Pro. <laughs> and honestly, it was a stretch financially on my credit card, my, my, my Apple card, hooray, cash back, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but this is such a good machine. I, I do not regret it. So I'm set, right? <laughs> you and I have different philosophies. For a long time, I would keep my Macs for about a year and a half or two years mm. because that would be the sweet spot at which you'd get a good resale price. And since, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, they were evolving so quickly. Yeah. You wanted to get the new technology, and now we've passed that. When I bought my 24-inch iMac last June when it came out, I had had my previous iMac more than three and a half years, and that was the longest I'd had a Mac since I've been working you know, around wow. this. And I even sold it on eBay for about half what I paid for it. So if I look at this from an accounting point of view, that's a profit coming in after the depreciation. That means that it cost me... I'm going to say 1,200 pounds for three and a half years, which is next to nothing wow. when you think about it. So if you keep them in good shape, you know, Macs do retain value. Yes. If you can turn them over at the right time, you know, to the right people, you can get good money. And and I think one of the main reasons I got the most for that is when I got it, I spec'd it out as much as I could. I mean, I didn't, you know, back then you couldn't get 64 gigs of RAM, but I did get the maximum. I got a better video card, more storage and extra RAM. Yeah, yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And actually, here's, I think, one of the key differences, and maybe this is a a regional thing, but you seem to have no problems at all selling equipment. Yeah. And yet when I consider doing it, maybe this is just because this is the way in the United States. 
uh, like everything seems like a scam. Trying to do eBay or Craigslist or some of these, I have lots of hesitation because there's just so many people out there who are like, yeah, I totally will buy this for your price. Can you drive this to Portland for me? You're like, no. <laughs> um, you know, th this happens uh, with camera equipment too. And uh, in fact, uh, you know, I'll point listeners to we had a an early, early episode about buying and selling camera equipment. And so a, another option would be to take it to some of these services like Gazelle and and they'll give you money for it. But they don't give you very much money at all. I disagree. I disagree. I've sold a number of things to MPB that has both a UK arm and a US arm. For camera stuff. I would say they give you about 10%. 15% less than what you can get, but that's fine for me compared to selling on eBay. Oh, okay. They've always been really great. They pay quickly. It never happens. Yeah. So hats off to MPB. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, that's camera stuff, obviously. That's camera stuff. Yeah. Computers. Yeah. So what I found is so I'm, I'm in this weird position because part of my justification for buying this new MacBook Pro was that Apple would give me $1,600 for my 2019 MacBook Pro. And right. so I just did the trade-in, uh, which is – That's a really good trade-in because they usually don't give you that much. I think they really wanted to push these new M1 Macs. Yes. So they were giving better trade-ins. Yeah. yeah. And my, my 2019 has a two terabyte um, SSD. So you know, it, again, like you said, it's, it's pretty well specced out. And that was fine. The problem was at some point – and I don't remember this happening – I must have bumped the edge of this or or something because they rejected my trade-in. Oh. One corner is like slightly barely bent and, uh, to the point where I did – like it's never affected it. And so shortly after I had sent it off, I got a thing from the company saying, your amount has changed. And yeah. so I thought, OK, well, maybe it's scratched or something. Your amount is currently zero. And yeah. uh, with some back and forth with Apple, um, I saw that basically it's the back left corner that's like just slightly, slightly bent. But near the hinge. But kind of near the hinge. It's it's never affected anything. But they're like, nope, we can't have – we can't take it. So they sent it back to me. Yeah. And for my troubles, then just charged me the balance of, of, of what the trade-in was, of course, for my new computer. Um, yep. So now I need to sell this. And so I went to look up other sites where I could do do the trade-in. And for this machine, it's got 32 gigs of RAM. It's you know like a good, highly specced machine. Uh, they're like, well, we'll give you $800 for it. And that's not what I <laughs> was hoping. Yeah. You know, so, so now I, I'm in that position of, okay, well, it's a great machine. I, I want to sell it. Do I go through all of that, all of that hassle? So, well, when I've sold on eBay and I've sold computers, I've sold audio equipment, camera equipment. I always make sure the buyers have lots of feedback. Mm -hmm. And yes, you can scam that. There are ways to scam it, but I've never had a problem. And you know, eBay guarantees things. And I, I once sold a camera to someone. Uh, it was an Olympus camera, going back seven or eight years, and the person complained that it rattled. So they filed a, hmm. a dispute or whatever it is. And I said, dude, this is the optical image stabilization. It rattles. Yeah. And this is just the way it works on Olympus cameras. Um, so obviously eBay, you know, I explained and eBay sided with me. It's the only time I ever had a problem. Oh, interesting. But 
It could be different in the UK versus the US. Anyway, we, we were planning to talk about something totally different today. <laughs> and before we recorded, we said, well, what's, what about these new Macs? So we figured we'd talk about them. And I want to just quickly give my take that Apple has come out with a big fat Mac mini, um, pretty impressive computer. And the, I think the most impressive thing to me, it's a tiny little thing. It's got an SD card slot on the front. It's got two USB-C uh, ports on the front. It's got four USB-C ports and two USB-A ports on the back. So it's got lots of connectivity. It's a really ideal desktop machine. The problem is, is it's expensive. It's either, it starts at either $2,000 or $4,000. Mm -hmm. Of course, no display, no keyboard mouse, right? So you got to add them. Um, we all have keyboards and mouses, right? right? But the display is 1500 and it starts with 512 gigs of storage. So you've got to up that. And there's a middle spot that's missing. There's a, you know, we've got the current iMac, which you can get a well spec for less than $1,500. I think it starts at $1,299, um, the, the base model. Mm -hmm. But then if you want the Mac Studio, interesting name, by the way, Mac Studio, plus the display, you're getting north of 3500 before you add anything on like, you know, extra storage. And there, there's a big gap in there. Now that the 27-inch iMac has been discontinued, um, there's nothing in between the sort of basic M1 Mac and the new Pro versions. Yeah, yeah. This is one of those things where you really need to define an audience for for these for these machines because obviously we're coming at this from the point of view of is the Mac Studio a good computer for photographers? Because a lot of the stuff that Apple showed off is related to content creation and imagery and video. And so 18 streams of 8K video simultaneously. I mean, seriously. That's how I wake up every morning, man. <laughs> 18 streams. You, you can edit a major motion picture on that computer. Oh, totally. If you're just if you're just an enthusiast photographer, you don't need that. Well, yes and no. See, the problem is I can think of excellent reasons on both sides of this. All right, let's say if you have an old machine Gear acquisition syndrome. I don't know morning. what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> this is the ghost of gear acquisition syndrome <laughs> rearing its head. <laughs> yes. I guess what's what's interesting is you have to throw a bunch of hypotheticals at it. If you are someone who has been using an older machine, let's say you have an iMac that's four or five years old, then pre-M1. Pre oh yeah, pre-M1. Probably can't upgrade to the latest OS maybe. Um, then something like this is appealing because you have a lot of power and, and you have a lot of – like you were saying earlier, a lot of specs, a lot of of future proofing, right? So being able to get one of these machines and have it last for many, many years seems very, very doable. Yeah, but in three years, the new machine's going to be so much better and 60% faster and three times brighter and makes your life six times better. It's going to be 10 times more magical, four yes. times more incredible <laughs> yeah. to, to, to yeah. take Apple's marketing. No, the thing is, the thing is, first, I think the first division is, are you a professional photographer? If you are, then you should definitely look into this, right? You should definitely consider Totally. It. If you're not and you can afford it, well – then that's fine if that's what you want to spend your money sure, on. Sure, absolutely. But but if you go to the high end with the M1 Ultra chip, 
Um, <laughs> you could buy a Leica for that, right? You could buy an expensive lens or a bunch of lenses. So it's a question of, you know, what what is more important to your photography? Is it the post-production and you want to have a the newest machine because you feel good about it and that's entirely possible? Sure. Or or is it the fact that you actually need this because you're a pro, you're going through thousands of photos when you shoot weddings, et cetera? I think, you know, there's use cases like that. Exactly, yeah. And like th- those are all the hypotheticals that, that you have to sort of throw at the question because there's also a good argument to be made where if you are a, a enthusiast photographer or a semi-pro photographer – the likelihood that maybe you are going to be creating video is pretty good. And so then you have to start thinking about, well, having all these extra GPU cores and and being able to render things quickly out of Final Cut Pro, is that worth it to you? I can say after doing a bunch of videos for a, a book project, my purchase of of this MacBook Pro that has – it has the the M1 Max chip in it. It's got more GPUs. Uh, being able to render things out quickly actually made a big difference, and I was really glad that I had it. Uh, but again, I've but I wonder how much of a difference there is for average users with any M1. Uh, we know that every M1 has had the same performance in single core performance. So that's web browsing. That's probably editing a lot of photos depending on the photo app. Mm-hmm. You know, most of what you do is single core. The the big difference in the different M1 processors is the multi-core. And we don't know yet how much that will make it. If you're editing photos, I, I use iStat Menus, uh, a utility that puts things in my menu bar, including little CPU core things. And I can yep, see when here. the CPUs are, are, are working and I can see when I edit photos, it barely flexes a muscle on my, my iMac. So photo editing, I can't see that as a process that requires a lot of power. Well, video obviously is very different, yeah. but in video, it's the rendering that requires the power more than anything else. Yeah, that's exactly it. And rendering while you're working, if you have that turned on, all of the smoother playback and and, and all of yeah. that. Yeah, um, that might make a difference. But in terms of processing, I think earlier I mentioned the the iPad Pro and the M1 and how the hardware has outpaced the software a little bit. This is something I'm a little concerned about with this Mac Studio because it has such amazing hardware capabilities. And I'm going to take a little sidebar here and just mention how cool it is that in order to to make the Ultra, rather than making a brand new chip, the, the Ultra is just two M1 Max chips that they've combined together. They have a little edge bit that they didn't tell anybody about, or at least that's the way they presented it, where they could combine these two and and double the 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 power of it. Um, like do you know why they had to do that? No. Because chip sizes are limited. You can't just keep making bigger chips. It's just chip making process oh, yeah. that limits it. And it's, it's what they call the die size. And, and mm-hmm. they were mentioning that a couple of times. So the only way you can increase it is essentially this is parallel processing. Yeah. And I've been saying for the past couple of years that their next step is going to have to be parallel processing. Um, one, because of the die size. And two, because 
the transistors are so small that they are getting very close to the size of an atom. And you can't get any smaller than that. You can't, uh, we'll, we'll have quantum computers and there are quantum computers being developed, mm -hmm. but with the kind of computers and processors we have, they are hitting limits. Yeah. So I can imagine that the Mac Pro that they teased, which we'll probably see in June at the Worldwide Developers Conference, is going to have four of these things connected. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or an M2 or four M2s or, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a brilliant solution. And I, I wonder now going back to, you know, what an average photographer is going to be doing. I wonder how much that affects sort of everyday editing, because you're right. Not at a all. lot of the software, I think, now does a better job of taking advantage of multiple uh, processor cores. A lot of it still doesn't use GPUs as effectively yeah. as they really could be doing. And so it does make me wonder how much of, of, of this awesome processing power you have is actually going to be used. And even more important, are you going to feel it? Does it yes. Is it going to seem like everything you're doing is faster. Yeah. If you're rendering video, you can time it. Yeah. Right? Oh, absolutely. You can see how long it takes. Does it take the time to make a cup of coffee or does it take the time to make that cup of coffee and drink it? That's the difference. <laughs> and you'll see the difference. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I just want to mention one thing on Apple's press release. Um, when they're comparing the performance of the Mac Studio, we'll start with the M1 Max, they're comparing the CPU performance to the 27-inch iMac with a 10-core processor. That is an Intel processor. They are comparing it to the Mac Pro with a 16-core Xeon Intel processor. Mm -hmm. They're comparing the graphics performance to a 27-inch iMac. Not one of these comparisons is to an M1 Mac. No, because they're all M1 Macs, and so... Right. Yeah. So we don't know how much faster – you could go back and compare the other M1 Macs to whatever they compared, mm -hmm. but we don't know how much faster they are than M1 Macs. And I think, again, th this is – a lot of this is gear lust. A lot of this is – I mean the, the connectivity thing is really important, right, for a lot of people. Sure. But I, I think that – we're that that ninety nine percent of people are never going to touch what this can do, and I come back to there's a there's a space in the middle between the Mac Mini and something a little bit better, um, because we we both agree this is a wonderful display at fifteen hundred dollars. Oh yeah. Um, I was saying the previous Apple display that was discontinued in two thousand sixteen was the Thunderbolt display. It was 30-inch or 27. I don't remember. It was, was $999. We're six years later. It kind of makes sense, 1500 Plus, it's got you know, four ports in the back. One of them can charge a, a Mac at 96 watts. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got Thunderbolt. And they, they pointed out it's got an A13 chip in it. I'm like, dude, who cares? Like, <laughs> is, are you going to be able to run software on the display alone? If that's the case, that'd be interesting. Like, can you convert it to an iPad, a big iPad? But um, it, it's a fine display. Um, yeah, it's three hundred dollars more than the LG five K display. Probably worth it. So no, no complaints. No there. complaints there. It's just that the Mac Studio just seems to be. I, I would have liked to see three models: a low end, medium, and a high mm -hmm. end, um, because there is there's a gap between the Mac Mini and the Mac Studio. Now maybe you were saying before we started um, they're going to upgrade the Mac Mini with a better processor, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I I could totally see them. 
sort of as as a mid like maybe pre WWDC announcement that hey as an option you can put an M1 Pro in the Mac Mini if you want that and so then you have like maybe a eighteen hundred dollar base model machine this is also the Apple thing right where you think to yourself I don't need a Studio Mac because it's it's $2000 and that $2000 of course is the base and all of us are probably going to increase the storage et cetera et cetera but let's let's just say it's $2000 and you think that's too much for what I need right now so I'm going to look at the iMac well I don't really need the iMac because I really want a bigger screen okay so now set that aside so I'm going to do the Mac mini cuz it still has an M1 and I can connect it to the new display or a display that I already have, and that starts at a much more reasonable price. So now let's say I want to add $400 or $800 for an M1 Pro machine. So now I'm in right. the sort of like $1,600 range. Well, that's really not that far from the $2,000 of the studio. And yeah, but the $2,000 is not really $2,000. You've got to add stuff to it's it. True, so it's true. It's th- true. Think of $2,500. But I know that's the logic. Is, it's that all lo- these purchasing steps. logic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One thing I want to go back to is the thinking behind what you need as a photographer and, and where you would see these kind of gains. Because like we said, in sort of every day I'm sorting through photos, I'm rating them, I'm editing them. I, you're not going to see a whole lot of of difference. Any M1 Mac will be fine. That's it, exactly. Because some areas where you will definitely see a difference are when you're assembling panoramas or doing HDR merges, things that are more computationally intensive. I know that if you have an older Mac and like a newer Sony camera that makes you know, I don't know what they're at, 50 megabyte images, and you're trying to you know, put together a panorama of that, that's definitely the thing where you make your coffee, you drink it, you read the newspaper, you come back and see if it's done. And so just yeah. if you're doing a lot of that kind of work, then then moving up. But I keep coming back to something that you said because when you bought your M1 iMac, which I think is, is the machine you're using now, right? Yeah. You were theorizing that you probably wouldn't really need to buy another computer for many years because it does. I'm thinking five years on this one. Exactly. And so the studio is super, super cool. But for a lot of people who just want to do photography, just the base M1 is still really good. It's only when you're thinking about, am I going to be rendering video? Am I going to be doing some of these things where a GPU would make a difference? Then you'll start thinking about that. Or, and I think this is this is the real story that, that Apple is pushing and I think where most of these are going to be sold. If you are a graphic designer in a design shop or a you know uh, production shop, publishing shop, I think – they're going to buy a ton of these studio Mac studios because they can replace a lot of old machines and get really like super performance, especially if maybe they had Mac Pros or they're doing 3D renders that will really, really, really benefit from this hardware. That's a no-brainer. And I I fully expect that's where most of these machines are going to go. Yeah. And as of today, the Mac Pro is obsolete. 
Yeah. Um, the, these new computers blow away the Mac Pro, which they're still selling, but they upped the base storage on the Mac Pro to 512 gigs, which is, you know, really generous. Oh, well, never mind then. I'm going to trade in <laughs> this. And the Mac Pro that. starts at $6,000. Yeah. And once you start adding stuff, you know, because we're talking about – actually, I think you can put – your own RAM in the Mac Pro yeah. because it's an Intel Mac. It's probably one of the la- probably the last one. So you could save money there, but if you want things like storage and all, you do have the ability to put cards in, and that's the big thing about the Mac Pro. You can do some upgrades that you can't do with any other Mac. Yeah, and and I think they're going to keep that going forward to the next Mac Pro. But as you said, it's the design places, the video editors, the 3D. Um, you know, there was a woman from Ableton Live talking about hundreds of tracks and music. And yeah, that's where you need it. Yeah. But it, it's it's like all the people sitting there on their couch at home watching this thing do not need this computer. They don't. It's super compelling. I mean, I love eh. the fact. Eh. I like the technology, but. Eh. I like that it exists. I like. What they're doing. I also like that Apple is not just cruising and saying, hey, the M1 is is perfectly great and here's something that looks a little bit different. That they're really sort of pushing ahead and and, and clearly pushing on this transition to M1 but also not just sitting on their hands, which sometimes they've they've tended to do in the past. But again – I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited for other people <laughs> to get this. Do, do you know what this looks like? What does it look like? The the Mac Studio. It looks like the Mac Mini server, which existed for a couple of years back in the day. It was like twice the height of the Mac Mini because it allowed you to put a second hard disk into it. I had totally forgotten about that. See, yep. I was thinking this is just Apple's ongoing efforts to to revive the Mac Cube. And no. Not quite. Not quite. They, Not quite. If if they added about half the height or a little bit more, it would be a cube. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe we'll see that going forward. Uh, another thing, this is the first new Mac name since 2008. Oh, right. Yes. The last new Mac product was the MacBook Air in 2008. Since then, it's all been iterations of the same name. Mm-hmm. And so this is a big step for Apple to actually have a new name. Yeah. But obviously, the, the 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 term studio is to indicate that, well, people working in studios need this, right? Yeah. They're not calling it pro. And that's interesting because they want – they don't want it – pro sounds too technical, like you're an engineer, mm-hmm. right? Rather than someone creating and that's what they want to do. And uh, like you, I think it's good that it exists. I think, uh, you know, it's overkill for all of us. If anyone listening to the show actually plans to buy one – Please let us know. Drop us a line. Um, what's our email address? I even forgot. <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> do we even use email? Well, we've got a Facebook so, group. I don't think we have an email well, address set up with the, no, the podcast. Well, you, you can go to photoactive.co and there's a there's a contact form. And so right. that will send us an email. So so you yeah. use that form. That's yeah. the best way Because uh, I'm curious if anyone does buy this or is planning to buy one, I'd like to know the, the reasons why. I mean if you're a professional photographer – you know, that's obvious. If you've got lots of money, that's obvious too. Um, and if you got lots of money, you can buy one for Jeff too, because he really wants one. <laughs> I can tell. Actually, me, me, I don't care that much. And and you know, when I bought the twenty-four inch iMac, um, actually, I, I upgraded from a twenty-one. I had downgraded before from a twenty-seven, mm-hmm. 
And because I don't want that big screen, I don't really need it. I don't want my entire field of vision swallowed up by a big screen. So for me, the 24 is a nice sweet spot in between. The 21 is a bit too small. Um, so I, I, I mean, I like this iMac. It, it's it's quiet. It's just it does what it does. It's there, and you know, I don't do anything where I need speed. I, I do screencasts sometime. I use an app called ScreenFlow mm-hmm. and I render videos and it takes a couple minutes to render a three, four minute video and big deal. It's, you know, yeah. it's not that serious. So it's it's just not the kind of thing that people like us need. But going forward, I think the technology, I think the the idea of having more connectivity is really good. Um, and, and here's another alternative. If someone wants a new display and they've got a MacBook Pro or MacBook Air, just connect it to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would love to sort of wrap this up by by saying that if you are a photographer and you have any sort of modern Mac, even if you have an old machine and you're thinking, I want more, but I don't really need to go crazy with the, with the studio, uh, getting a Mac mini even would be perfectly fine for your uses. But I think photographers would really benefit from the display. Because of Apple's color fidelity, it's a wide gamut, P3 wide uh, color space, um, lots of of connections. And just, you know, Apple's engineering and that has always been really good. The screen on this MacBook Pro is amazing. And so it's sort of like the, the, the camera lens thing. If you spend mm-hmm. money on on a good lens, you're going to get really good results. And if you have a perfectly acceptable Mac that will do what you need and you get a good display, I think you're probably going to enjoy that and that will be just as worth the money that you put into it as, say, I'm going to spend $3,000 on a studio, right? Yeah. But just one last point about price. Every time there's a new Mac model, you always see a number of websites that, that go to Apple's configuration page and pick the maximum of everything and they say what it costs. And I believe when the Mac Pro came out that you could configure it at like $50,000. Yeah. The highest configuration for the Mac Studio is only 8000 Yeah. And that's and I think that says a lot. Yeah, that's with eight. That's with eight terabytes, one hundred twenty-eight gigs of RAM, um, the fastest processor. So when you look at it that way, maybe they've just killed the market for the Mac Pro. You know, I saw a few like high-end scientists on Twitter during the the event talk about how this this machine is obsoleting their twenty thirty thousand uh, dollar machines that are doing super complex calculations it's really amazing and I think the only reason why you would want to buy a Mac pro now is because you need that that modular that internal modularity because you have specific mm-hmm. cards or some reason that it needs to be an Intel processor because of maybe some software that you're running that sort of thing but it's it's pretty amazing. Okay, time for our snapshots. What do you got? Uh, I've got some software. Part of these announcements with the the new studio display is it's got a better webcam. And so finally, you can have decent webcams. And actually, the the camera in the new MacBook Pro is also decent. But there are still areas where it's lacking. What I have found is uh, when I'm doing something where I need to be recorded on a a video call – 
uh, I use the software called Camo by a company called Reincubate. Now, last year, I've, I've written a few articles for them. So full disclosure, they paid me to write these articles. But it's great software that lets you use an iPhone as your webcam. And I have found it to be really, really good. And I've I'll put some links in the show notes to the articles that I wrote. But even using an older, let's say, an iPhone 7, you still get really good quality because Apple has invested so much in the camera systems. And so Camo lets you connect your phone to your computer as long as you have something to mount the phone on. I have just like an old tripod and an old iPhone mount that I I plug my camera into. Then that gives you a really good webcam that means that it's better than what you're going to have internal and you don't have to go through all the, the extended stuff involved in taking, say, a a mirrorless camera or DSLR and setting that up. Like those are all still possible, but the the complication level goes way up. So Camo, you can use it for free. And I think it has, um, you know, some branding or something. Um, Yeah, it has has a watermark. Um, You can pay for an annual subscription of $40, monthly subscription of $5, lifetime license is $80. And if you find yourself using webcams a lot. And of course, this came out during the pandemic when suddenly everybody was at home. It's totally going to be worth it. Kirk, what do you have this week? We've had uh, DP Reviews, uh, Chris Nichols and Jordan Drake on the, the podcast separately, not together. And they had a new video today, which I found really interesting. Sigma, the lens company, has come out with three Fujifilm X-mount lenses that work with autofocus. Oh, now, there have been a couple of brands that have done autofocus, but not a lot. And um, this is a big deal. Third-party lenses that don't do autofocus, well, they're good if you like manual, but autofocus is important. I don't really need these lenses. There's a 16-millimeter 1.4, a 30-millimeter 1.4, and a 56-millimeter 1.4. And the prices are really interesting. They go for, let's see, 459 for the 16 339 for the 30 millimeter and 479 for the 56 millimeter. This is around half of Fuji's prices mm. for their equivalents. So I think this is really interesting. However, there's a problem. There's no aperture ring on these lenses. How do you change the aperture? Is it even possible? Well, it is. You have to use one of the control dials on your camera. I don't understand. That's set to aperture. Uh, yeah. I don't understand so, how that works. <laughs> well, the previous 27 millimeter 2.8. Fuji lens worked like that, and they came out with a second model, yeah. which does have an aperture ring. And I just can't use the lens without an aperture ring. I've, I've gotten so, so used to it, right? Yeah. So I think like me, you shoot an aperture priority, where the only thing I change is the aperture. The shutter speed and the ISO, they're calculated by the camera. So I can't not have that <laughs> ring on the lens. Now, if you don't need the aperture ring, these are really interesting lenses. Um, Chris Nichols in his review was pointing out that they're they're pretty close to the Fujifilm lenses in terms of sharpness and quality, and Sigma makes very good lenses. So it's worth considering, but I just can't use the lens without an aperture ring. So in any case, some people might be interested. Apparently, these are the same lenses that they've made for Sony and Canon. I think they have the exact same lens. They call them contemporary lenses. They've got for several different uh, lens mounts. So if you do need a new lens and you don't want to spend the Fuji price and you don't care about the aperture ring, 
go check out Sigma. Nice. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.